We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Hello, Sasha. I'm Alexi Lawless and welcome to the State of the Union podcast. We look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This week we'll be talking, well, of course, MLS playoffs, uh, MLS MVP, Finch, LA soccer, the U.S. men's national team roster, USA Mexico, another addition uh, upon us here. Ole, as always, uh, that's Evergreen. The Wire, Wando, Couch Coaches, Hockey, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Monday, November 8th in the year 2021? Doing well. Good to finally see you. You showed up a little late for today's podcast tape. Don't get me started. Uh, I know. I know you are. You are poking the bear, as they say. Um, yes, I was a little bit late today. We had uh, we had a little issue at home uh, with, with the kids. I have two teenagers in the house, um, which means that I have two morons in the house. Okay, uh, in in some of the way that they they look at life and the way that they conduct themselves and. Um, being timely is one is way down there on their list of things to do. And I, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll find this out. And for people that are parents out there, you recognize very quickly, you have to, you know, pick what, which hills to die on and all that. And, and we're all trying to make, uh, uh, to find the right moments when to make points and the, the the inability for my kids at some uh, at some instances to be on time is maddening to me, especially when it directly affects me, like not being able to me to to be here. And I don't know where it comes from, but I have a lifelong aversion to being late, which I don't think is a is a bad trait. As a matter of fact, I think, I think it's a a good trait. But it it physically makes me angry uh, and physically affects me when when I am late, and I take it very very personally. Uh, when it comes to something like that, it is not as as of yet a gene that evidently has been passed on to my uh, to my teenagers. So hopefully they develop that because I think it's uh, it's important. So I apologize. I apologize to you, everybody here for making you wait a few minutes. To be fair, in the four year history of this podcast, this might be only the second or third time that uh, I've arrived before you. I am usually the one that struggles with punctuality here. Well, uh, it's it's okay. I I forgive you if you will forgive me, and I, I I'm pretty proud of myself because I I I let it be known that I wasn't happy at home. Okay, when this happened, but whereas maybe my my younger self, I would have picked that moment and I said, you know what, I'm going to live to fight another day. In that, they can tell by my attitude and the way that I look that they're angry, but I'm not going to make a huge deal and make a 
you know, a bigger thing than it actually is. But the point was, was there. I mean, look, they're, they're teenagers. And so getting them to accept responsibility and kind of take ownership and to be much more proactive about their lives and how their decisions can affect other people, that's an ongoing type of process. So anyway, um, what do you want to talk about here, Mossy? Did you see anything interesting uh, this week? I am in TV heaven right now. You are? Okay. Um, what does that entail? Well, I already had Succession and Curb Your Enthusiasm, and then the new season of Narcos dropped on Netflix this past weekend, so I've been plowing through those episodes. That's still going on? Oh, yeah. This is the final season, Narcos Mexico Season 3. Now, on Succession, I can't reveal any plot points because uh, Kristen Scott, the young lady that oversees this podcast, she stopped by last week. She loves the show, but she's behind me. And she made it very clear that if I ever spoil succession for her on this podcast, I am finished. I'll never work another podcast again anywhere. I'm just happy that she listens to this. So that's uh, that's that's great. Wonderful. Um, but and and that's, you know, very uh, respectful of you not to uh, to do that. But we 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 try not to spoil too much when it comes to the uh, the different things. Um, speaking of Curb, though, my wife did uh, walk into the room this morning and say, have you ever watched Curb? I, mean, I have watched Curb, so it wasn't really, you know, um, and that, that's not the reason why I'm, t I'm telling you this, but she is, I know you weren't, you said it was good, but you weren't over the moon in terms of this new season. She thought it was just phenomenal and it was just laughing her ass off and, and having a wonderful time with it. So she's much more bullish about what's going on here. And like I said, you're not negative about it, but it's just kind of a continuation. So it's lived up to a high, a high mark for you. Right. Absolutely. And, and I did like this most recent episode. Well, the recent one. OK, it uh, it, uh, it it uh, it was up there for you. Um, OK, so what did I uh, watch? There's a new uh, Tom Hanks movie in which he's all alone. I, I mean, I guess it saves money when you're the only actor or one of the only of a handful of actors that are actually in this. He is the only actor in this uh, called Finch. Uh, it's on Apple TV and it's this, you know, post-apocalyptic type of scenario where he's living in a, in a world and he builds a robot and, you know, the, the relationship that he, his robot that he built and the dog that he is responsible for um, go through as they kind of uh, head out across this dystopian, is that, what, is that the word, uh, type of uh, landscape that exists. So it's Castaway with it uh, the robot or the dog playing the role of Wilson in this Exactly. Movie? It's very much, uh, very much so. I mean, I think maybe he prefers to work alone. <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, it, it, you know, whatever the budget is, uh, they're saving it a lot because there is not, I mean, I'm not sure they're paying the dog. Well, I guess they're paying the dog. And then the voice of the actual robot. I will say this, he ends up naming him Jeff. I'm not giving anything away, but if and when you watch this, um, I think the voice casting is is very important, and I don't think that they got this right. I don't know who the actor is that the, that that uh, voices this this robot, but the voice that they finally came to choose for this robot, I thought that it took me out of the movie a little bit. I thought that it gave less um, gravitas and importance. And I had less of a connection because I think that the voice was distracting in a certain way. And look, if, if, if that is all you are, is that voice, then you better be damn sure that you are casting correctly for that voice. And I think it was miscast. If you can, if you can miscast a voice, which I think you can, I think that that was, that, that would be one of my, I definitely give it two thumbs up. It's good. It's not the greatest thing I've ever seen. Uh, it's definitely worth worth your time. But that was one of the critiques and criticisms that I have of the movie. The other thing, and I think I mentioned this a while, I am now into The Wire. Okay? 
Uh, <laughs> all right, Mossy, I know how much you love this, okay? First off, there's a lot of, they swear a lot in that, huh? There's, there's, there's a lot of language in this, okay? There's, I mean, there was a scene, it's probably a famous scene. This is in the first, I'm only in the first season right now, where literally all they said was the F word constantly, uh, and they were doing this, this crime scene thing. So I'm not sure that this is going to hold up as much as you want it to, I'm going to watch it because I'll just I'll just keep watching it. Even if it sucks, I will, I will continue watching it. And I'm not saying that it sucks. I am I am into it. I'm cautiously optimistic, but I do think that it's it, it looks and already feels a little dated. Uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because you I, it, it can kind of transcend generations and times and eras. But I'm worried that it's not going to hold up as much as you would let, like it to. Uh, you are talking about my favorite television drama of all time it's, so i mean um, I, once again i'm only in the first how first many episodes season. i don't know six seven into the first season so how do you feel about wallace uh which one's wallace okay that, that, that i'm just trying to gauge how many episodes i, I, I get, I get the names no, 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 i know you, the main you, characters you already, i mean there's this whole group right of people and they're they're interesting and all that um but if you had if you hadn't told me that this is one of your favorites if not your favorite uh television show in history and I started watching this, there's not a chance in hell that I would equate it. I mean, that, that, that's it. So it hasn't hit me yet. But, you know, it's it's a it's a work in progress, uh, shall we say. All right, Mossy, um, you ready to light this candle? Let's do it. All right. Well, usually I hit you with my State of the Union this, uh, you know, at the beginning of the show. But we're going to just dive right into it. We're going to kind of have a throwback to when we were in the pandemic and we dove right back into it um, because there's so much going on. And obviously we are recording this on a Monday morning after all the craziness that happened with Major League Soccer. We now have our playoff teams decided. It was everything and more that you would want from a decision day. And for those that that don't follow, what happened was we had the Sunday, uh, we had the East Coast, Eastern East Conference, and the Western Conference all playing, all playing uh, at the same time relative to their conference. Our friends at ESPN did the East Eastern Conference, or, and then we did the uh, the Western Conference over at Fox. We had all sorts of thrills and chills and excitement. It's exactly what you want from de uh, Decision Day in that every single goal changed things, every single result obviously changed things. The back and forth uh, that was going on. The game that we that we did for Fox was the Los Angeles Galaxy versus Minnesota. Both came into this game knowing that things could happen where uh, where either one of them could be out of uh, of the playoffs. And there were times where it looked like that was going to happen um, uh, or potential uh, was there to happen for both of them. Um, also, uh, you should know that you know, I, I, I talk about David Mossy and his value to what we do on a consistent basis. And it is it, it bears repeating and never was it more evident than uh, yesterday at Decision Day, where there's a there's a lot of stuff going on in the control room. And our friend Rob Stone, who is in charge of breaking in and providing, you know, the, the 15 seconds of a highlight when a goal happens in another game in that red zone type of situation, uh, Mossy was there uh, helping him, protecting him and feeding him with uh, with information. So give us a little insight into the control room before we get into actually some of the stuff that uh, that was going on on the field. 
Well, first off, it was a lot easier than last year when you might recall they had to go to uh, points per game because mm -hmm. of COVID and teams playing uh, different amounts of matches. So at least this was more straightforward. And it also makes it easier with MLS that wins is the first tiebreaker rather than goal difference. So do you agree with that? Do you do, I mean, in, in, does it matter to you? I'm good with it. Um, makes sense to me. Um, so uh, kudos to John Strong, too, because he was all over it. And, and you're right. We ended up with the dream scenario because that RSL goal against Sporting KC made it where they were definitely through. That, that game finished before ours. And so it came down to our two teams, the Galaxy and Minnesota, battling for that last spot. Had the Galaxy scored, they would have been in Minnesota out. But they didn't score, so Minnesota gets in, and the Galaxy crash out of the playoffs, missing out for the fourth time in five years. Oof. Well, okay, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> All right, so just so for, so people know uh, in terms of the matchups, uh, New England Revolution wasn't even going to be a question. They were going to win Supporters' Shield, and they were going to get the bye uh, for the East, and they certainly got that. When all is said and done and the dust settles here, the Colorado Rapids, coached by the great Robin Frazier, uh, find themselves sitting atop the West. Absolutely amazing. And kudos and congratulations to uh, to that entire organization for what they have done this year in actually being relevant again uh, in terms of the uh, the team that they have on the field. And they get to sit around and they get to rest and they get to watch everybody else. So everybody else, when it comes to the West, uh, Portland will host the Loons, and so uh, Minnesota traveling to Portland. Kansas City will host Vancouver, a team that just came on like gangbusters at the end of uh, this season and find themselves now into the playoffs, the only um, Canadian team in the, uh, in the MLS playoffs. And then Seattle Sounders will host RSL that you mentioned in that uh, dramatic fashion, get the goal, win away at uh, Sporting KC and find themselves in the playoffs. On the eastern side, as we mentioned, New England gets the bye, uh, winning the uh, winning the East. NYCFC will actually get a home game at the baseball stadium, and Atlanta United will travel to NYCFC. That's an interesting one. Nashville just continues to tie games. 18 uh, ties throughout the season, uh, and another one uh, again uh, yesterday, but that was an interesting game. Orlando will travel to Nashville uh, for that game. And then the Philadelphia Union just keep Keep trucking along uh, and uh, sometimes under the radar. They will host the Red Bulls, who had a wonderful end of the season to find themselves in the playoffs. Um, where do you want to start? You want to start with the L.A. Uh, situation? Yeah. And, and can I get something yes, out of the way? Yes, I feel it, uh, you know, boiling and, and ready to you know, boil to the surface here. Go. That Justin Glad play is a major issue. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, I know there were some folks on Twitter actually trying to argue that it wasn't a handball, which I find preposterous. And then there were others doing the whataboutism thing that eight years ago, SKC got a call against RSL <laughs> in some game. And so this evens yeah. it out. But I mean, let's focus on the here and now. Uh, that is the reason why you have VAR. That was a game that impacted the number one seed and uh, who made the playoffs. And that's just an incredible missed call to occur in a game like that. I, there's no explanation for it with VAR. Uh, I mean, that to me was like Maradona, hand of God level stuff. I mean, that was clearly a handball. Well, there, uh, no, there could be an ex explanation. You will disagree with it. Because I mean, if, if, if the explanation is our team looked at it, we didn't feel that it rose to the uh, level of whatever the law that you want to apply, or we didn't think that it was clear and obvious or something like that. But then that, but, but it's still ultimately a subjective type of thing, but you just disagree with it. And you think that it was a, a blatant miss and, and one that had significant ramifications. Uh, I do. Yeah. I thought yeah. that was a blatant miss. Um, but 
putting that play aside, it, it was still incredibly dramatic. Give yep. RSL credit, uh, figuring out a way to score that goal at the end. And listen, the Galaxy have only themselves to blame. They were in the playoffs the entire season. As a matter of fact, they spent most of the season near the top of the Western Conference standings and then started slipping towards the end, went into decision day clinging to the final spot. But still, they could have taken care of business and won at home. They didn't. They came out awfully flat in that Minnesota game, fell behind, did show you something by, by rallying, uh, and yet it wasn't enough. Uh, so, I mean, it's your former franchise, the, the gold standard in the league, the ultimate super club, and now four times in the last five years they missed the playoffs. What do you make of it? Uh, it's not good. It's not a good look for Greg Vanny, not in the sense that I think he's going anywhere because I think he's quality and I think it is a, it's a progression and a, <laughs> a long-term type of endeavor that's going on here. But it doesn't matter if it's Greg Vanny or any other coach for the Los Angeles Galaxy. When you talk about a process or a long-term uh, situation here, that's not the, what the Galaxy has promised us. That's not what the Galaxy has ever been. And at the very least, in a league like Major League Soccer, where so, where so many teams make the playoffs, if you are one of those elite super clubs, which the Los Angeles Galaxy traditionally has been, that is not good enough. And that's not good enough in terms of the talent that you have. And it's not good enough in terms of the money that you have spent both on the field in terms of the players that you have and off the field in terms of, you know, whether it's the uh, the personnel that you have in the front office, the personnel that you have uh, surrounding the team, the facilities, the resources, all of those different things. There is a, an expectation in return at, at the very least you will make the you will make the playoffs. And so this is yet another failure. I know that there's that long-term plan, but get out of here with that. I don't want to hear about that when it comes to the Los Angeles Galaxy and when it comes to, uh, to Greg Vanny. This has always been a team about the here and now. And if you can't do it, somebody else will come in, as I certainly found out and others have found out uh, along the way. It's not good enough when it comes to uh, what the Galaxy claims to be. Now, if the galaxy isn't that anymore, fine, tell us, all right? And we'll go on our merry way. But that would be disappointing, disheartening, and and certainly sadden me because that's not what I want from a Los Angeles Galaxy team. And that both LA teams, I'll get to that that in a second, um, are not in the playoffs. It's not a good look for Los Angeles. It's not a good look for either of the Los Angeles teams. And by the way, it's not a good look for MLS. Uh, Chicharito with two goals this weekend. He finishes with 17 goals in 21 games. Had he stayed healthy the whole year, he would have won the Golden Boot, and I think the Galaxy would have definitely made the playoffs. Does that uh, serve, it, serve as an excuse at all or no? No. Staying healthy is a skill. You know, We talk about it all the time, and, and he did not have it this year, and you cannot expect to... This 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 galaxy, other teams can, you know, Seattle missed designated players and they didn't miss a beat. So you have to be able to do it. But this particular galaxy team relies so heavily on him that if he's going to miss half the year, yeah, that's a problem. So and all the work that was done in the offseason, you know, credit to him and I'm happy for him. He, he seemed to physically and mentally to be a better place when it started. But we're right back to a situation where he missed uh, half the year. And so. If you're only going to get half a year out of him, that is a big problem for the galaxy uh, going forward. And when and you know when I say we talk about this line of demarcation, right? The the separation between, for all intents and purposes, good and bad, the playoff line, right? Uh, or success and failure. Having said that, not all failures um, are the same. Okay, so when the galaxy doesn't make the playoffs or LAFC doesn't make the playoffs. Yes, that is a failure, but it's a very different type of failure than 
FC Dallas not making the playoffs. Okay. And I think that that's, that's important to note, uh, to note here. So for both of those teams, this was undeniably a failure of a season. Uh, I think there will be changes and we're already hearing uh, news coming out as we go on air here when it comes to LAFC uh, about Bob Bradley potentially going to uh, Toronto FC. And so I don't know. I don't know if it's a fait accompli or anything. Who knows by the time you listen to this, it might be. Uh, so there are definitely going to be changes when it comes to LAFC. As I said, I don't think Greg Vanning is going anywhere, nor nor should he. But this is on his resume. All right. He had enough talent to your point. Most of the season they, they were sitting pretty and they had that. Uh, that period that was that ultimately did them in and they had it in the palm of their hands and they let it go. And that's not what elite teams do. And that's not what super clubs do. And so in that sense, it was a absolute failure. I, I, I know what you're saying. I, I, I do think that Galaxy hit rock bottom as a franchise in 2020 and they did take some steps in the right direction this season. I, I do feel like the 2021 LA Galaxy were clearly better than the yeah. 2020 version and they do have the right coach. I, I love Greg Vanny and I think he'll, he'll be there for a long time and will be successful. So in that respect, I actually think LAFC's failure is worse because for them, this feels like the end of a cycle yeah. and where they have to kind of start from scratch again. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think to your point, the, 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 the galaxy, and I know there's some people out there that are going to write us this week, oh, you're talking about the galaxy again. Well, there's a reason why we're talking about the galaxy and, and LAFC. It's because of what they've done. But the reason why we're talking about them is because of how horrible they have been and the failure that, uh, that these seasons are. To your point about uh, LAFC, again, the talent that they have, the money that they have spent, it is the end of an era. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think it has gotten stale there um, in both on and off the field. And so I'll be really interested to see what happens uh, in terms of who takes over if Bob Bradley leaves and what changes are made going uh, going forward, because it's it's a it's a rich and a well-known type of ownership group that exists there. It's a obviously a very passionate type of fan base. And this is not this is not good enough. You, you don't think that this morning, Monday morning over there in uh, the offices in New York for Major League Soccer, they're looking around and saying, geez, no L.A. teams in uh, in the playoffs. That is not good. Uh, all right. Let's uh, should we move on to some some good things that, that have happened here um, again? Uh, hats off and congratulations to the Colorado Rapids who sit at, uh, at the top of the West. Now, they certainly benefit from the fact that Nobody really paid attention to them, and they went under the radar for for most of the season. They have done it without spending a lot of money. Uh, they have done it without having major stars. You know, although there were some strategic pickups, Mark Anthony K, uh, those types of uh, things certainly have uh, helped them. And you know, to your point about LAFC, that on the final day of the season they go out and they just lash. Uh, LAFC and win five to two at home. It just put a, puts an exclamation point about how far they have come this year to be able to uh, to send LAFC out with their tail between uh, between their legs. So congratulations uh, uh, to Colorado. Are they for real? Are they legit? We did our pretenders and contenders uh, uh, yesterday on the uh, show. Do you see now that they are at the number one seed? They get the bye. They're going to have home games. Obviously, if it came down to uh, the revolution in Colorado, the revolution would host. But do you see them as real contenders? I don't think they can win MLS Cup. I think the two teams seated below them, Seattle and Sporting KC, if they were to face those two teams, I, I would. I just think those other two teams have more match-winning quality. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, you mentioned Robin Frazier. I mean, Bruce Arena probably has to win Coach of the Year, right? But he would be a close second. Yeah, we're going to get to, uh, you know, my my MVP uh, stuff here. But this morning before I came into work, I uh, I, I I did my um, my picks out there and it was I, I I wavered and I hovered over that click button for a while as to who to put for coach of the year. And ultimately. And, and what's the criteria there? The coach whose team scored in the most <laughs> amount of games. You're such a jerk. Uh, yeah, no, this is this is all feel. This is all feel. Uh, when it comes to coach of the year. And I, I think that, you know, ultimately I, I went with Bruce Arena. Once again, I, I, I wanted to go with, uh, with Robin Frazier. Um, but I think, you know, the, the historical uh, success of what Bruce Arena did, I think deserves, uh, deserves credit. I also think from a, from a MLS structure standpoint, you know, while I said, you know, Colorado really hasn't done it with high profile types of stars, you know, when you look at uh, the New England Revolution, I think they are as close to the, the perfectly constructed MLS team that I've seen in a long time. And we've talked about the balance between, you know, you have big stars and designated players who continually bring it. You got a great goalkeeper, you got, you know, then you populate it with all of these players that understand MLS. And I think, so that's where some of the appreciation for what Bruce Arena has, has done. Although, you know, and we talked to uh, Adrian Heath before the game yesterday, and I asked him point blank, do you think that the Western Conference is stronger than the Eastern Conference? And he didn't hesitate for a second. And he said, listen, the Western Conference is stronger. You know, it's it, it's not the Eastern Conference's fault. You play who's in front of you. But there is a, a I think, a marked difference between these two conferences. I'm not sure it plays out ultimately in the, in the playoffs. But in terms of playing teams multiple times over and over and over again, and he pointed to the fact, you know, look at the teams that I have to play on a continual basis because we're in the West Conference as opposed to what happened in the East. And that's certainly something to uh, to think about. Not enough to necessarily put an asterisk next to what New England has done, but certainly something involved uh, in the conversation. What else you got, Mossy? Well, I mean, if you want to transition to the East, um, there wasn't as much drama there. As a matter of fact, uh, the seven teams that were above the line entering the day finished above the line in the exact same order they were in entering the day, which was pretty incredible. Uh, Orlando took care of business against Montreal, which rendered that whole situation anticlimactic. Uh, so the only bit of drama we had was the Red Bulls were 1-1 against Nashville while DC United were taking care of business in their game. And so you knew that a Nashville goal would have knocked the Red Bulls out and put DC United in. And late in that game, a couple of times the ball was pinging around the Red Bulls box. So there, whatever little bit of drama there was in the East, it was there. Uh, give credit to the Red Bulls because we had left them for dead at one point mm -hmm. this season and remarkable finish for them to continue this streak of their 12th straight season in the playoffs. And there were some chances there, uh, and they they bended, but they did not break. And so, yes, absolutely credit to uh, the Red Bulls. They squeak in at number seven. I mean, the 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 parody and the manufacturer parody that we have in Major League Soccer was on full display this weekend in terms of what separates you from again that line of demarcation between good and bad, success and failure. And you look at you know DC United on forty seven points, uh, Columbus Crew on forty seven points, Montreal, Montreal. That was a huge, huge opportunity lost for them. And Montreal, which has you know come on and done well uh, throughout the year, and then against Orlando at home in Montreal, they really just they didn't show up and, and credit to uh, Orlando, like, like you said. Um, 
but yes, uh, the New York Red Bulls slip in. I, I'm not picking them to do much when it comes uh, to the playoffs, but congratulations uh, to them. DC just didn't have it uh, ultimately coming down the stretch. Um, and Columbus, the defending MLS Cup champs, man, oh man. I mean, Zellerion scored another great goal. He <laughs> just scores incredible goals, but still that is, you know, talk about, uh, talk about failures. And again, that does, I think, give us pause and potentially, not potentially, I think for some, and I certainly could be convinced that what happened last year, there is an asterisk to, to come back and just not be able to find your way even just back into the playoffs. That's that's not a good look for your defending MLS Cup uh, champion Columbus, uh, Columbus uh, crew. Uh, fifth defending champion to miss the playoffs, third in the last six years, which is interesting. Uh, the matchup in the East I really have my eye on is NYCFC Atlanta, which is the 4-5 game. I, f- I find that game fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, just following the two teams all year, you kind of feel like NYCFC is the better team, and some of the underlying metrics point to that. But they did finish with the same amount of points. And Atlanta, you talk about a team with some match-winning quality, Joseph Martinez and, and players like that, Luis Araujo. And, and so uh, that that's a scary game for NYCFC. How do, how do you see that it's, one? I mean, this, this, this is the question that always comes up because there is this 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 stop start type of thing and the other side you are hoping that the good stuff that you had from the regular season you're able to take and parlay into the playoffs and obviously get rid of any of the bad stuff that you have and so it's a it's a matter of of saying how much of that good stuff are you going to be able to continue because from a, from a mentality standpoint and even from a physical standpoint it's such a different type of game the you know the the, uh, the playoffs and to your point when it comes to NYCFC and, and all the numbers I mean the amount of chances that they create don't necessarily finish but the amount of chances that they create and the comfort that they have uh, in that in that baseball stadium that they play at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, I mean, it would not surprise me in the least if NYCFC looks different in that some of those things start to go in. We saw a little a couple games ago where they they they, you know, they scored five uh, five or six goals or, or or whatever. I can definitely see them if they find that that vein that has been missing, uh, going going great guns and scoring bunches and bunches of goal. In the same way, though, you're looking at someone like Nashville, who I mentioned had 18 ties through the through the year. Nine of those, by the way, uh, came at home home and finished the uh, the season here, as we were just talking about with the Red Bulls, with yet another uh, yet another one. What are they going to go to if that is their go to? Is you know. M- finding ways to just get a point out of a game. Uh, in my expert opinion, you can't win a game if you tie the game. Yeah, that team is perpetually underrated to me. They tied an MLS record this this season for fewest losses. They had fewer losses than the Revolution. So to your point, it's just a difficult team to beat. Yeah. They, and, and so that serves you well in the it playoffs. W- well, but, you know, in, in that moment, so where because they have to win now. So do they do they change who they are in order to get that little extra bit? And that's where I think it's going to be uh, interesting and, and possibly um, a problem. So that, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see Orlando go to uh, uh, go to Nashville. I think Philadelphia will beat uh, the Red Bulls. I think Orlando will beat Nashville. I think I Orlando think, beats Nashville. I think Orlando oh, okay. goes into Nashville and wins. I think I think uh, NYCFC beats Atlanta in the uh, in the East. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but it's worth reiterating. Jim Curtin, uh, hats off, wins the Supporters' Shield uh, last year, loses the players that he lost, 
They come back this year. He has to reinvent. They get to the semifinals of CCL and finish second in the East. Now, they he hasn't had a really great playoff run there, so that's the one thing missing. They lost in the first round last season. I know you're giving them, you think it's a pretty safe bet that they're going to beat the Red Bulls. I don't know. The Red Bulls are a team that's riding this wave of momentum. Yeah. Very difficult. I don't to, know safe bet. I mean, none of this me, is a safe bet, but those are, the, those are my picks from that. That's, that's an uh, up, upset alert for me there. Red uh, Bulls. Right, okay. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Well, as long as we're doing this, uh, who do you got in the, uh, in the West? I'll give you mine. Um, I think, I think Minnesota goes into Portland and wins. I think, Kansas City beats Vancouver, and I think Seattle beats Salt Lake. What do you got? Uh, yeah, I think the uh, higher seed I'll take. I'll take all, all, all the side. All right, I'm, I'm going to go with my loons there to do uh, do something interesting there. By the way, uh, you mentioned CCL. So uh, obviously uh, the four spots, uh, one is MLS Cup winner, uh, two uh, uh, are the winners of the East and West. So right now it's Colorado. Congratulations, Colorado, by the way, CCL, they're going to be playing uh, CCL next year uh, and New England Revolution and the best second place finisher right now, which would be Seattle, right? Um, and then I suppose if one of these teams wins MLS Cup, it would be the next person to uh, to have the best record, which maybe would be Kansas City or something like that. I don't know. Uh, but congratulations uh, either way. For, uh, for those teams that uh, have already already automatically uh, qualified. Uh, a couple other things to mention. Um, Tab Ramos out at the Houston Dynamo. They did not pick up his uh, contract. It did not go well for him down there. Not that he was given a whole lot of, uh, of resources, um, but you know you got to make do with what you got, and he wasn't able to do that. So we'll see where he ends up. I still think that there's some quality when it comes to Tab Ramos, um, and we'll see if he uh, hooks up somewhere else. Pat Onstadt, former uh, member of the Houston uh, Dynamo, and uh, has been uh, with a couple of different teams, including last with um, the Columbus Crew, becomes the new GM down there. So there's uh, some news in terms of what's going on there. Uh, what else, Masi? Uh, Valentin Castellanos uh, captured the golden boot. Mm -hmm. He actually finished tied with Ola Kamara on 19 goals, but the first tiebreaker is assists, which gave it to him, uh, which we'll get to tiebreakers in a second. Okay. Uh, Chris Wondolowski, I guess we're going to save that for... Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, talk about um, him at the end of the I'm show. Sorry. Yeah, But okay, so let's... let's he did, he did, uh, Chris Wondolowski, Wondolowski you know, MLS great, announced his retirement, and I got a few thoughts on that. I'll get you at the end of the show. So I mentioned that uh, Castellanos won the golden boot based on the assist tiebreaker. You, with your controversial MVP criteria, that was thrown for a loop yesterday. So you had to, on the fly, come up with a tiebreaker of your own. So we're all waiting here to find out what, what you came up with. I, I talked to you on your way out last night. You, you weren't sure which way you're going to go with it. And so, yeah, I mean, so, okay. So for people that <laughs> have not listened, it had come down to, first off, Castellanos doesn't even factor into it because he didn't even get to the point of the Buxas and uh, the, um, uh, the Krylocks uh, and, and the Shallowies. So it had come down to Shallowy was winning and leading for the last couple of months. And on the last day, as we know, we just talked about this incredible moment where uh, Demir Krylock scores. And in my, it's, you know, it's not a penalty. All right. Uh, his team did make the playoffs because he scored. Um, and it put him into a tie with Daniel Shallowy. So I needed to find something. And I, you know, I asked around for different people, including my friend, uh, Paul Carr. We talked about it a little bit, uh, Mossy. And... I think what I what I came down to was the the value to the player because so now it's between Shallowy 
and um, and Crylock. If I look at what RSL is, okay, and I guess what it isn't, I think that there was more value that he brought to that team. And I recognize that this is subjective, okay? But I got I to gotta find a way to break the tie. And rather, rather than go specifically with a, uh, uh, a number, and I could have gone with the number, by the way, and uh, Kyle Luck, I think, would have won with the assist thing if I wanted to use the, the assist thing, right? So ultimately, I, I went with uh, Demir Krylock. I mean, you do see the irony here. No, I don't. Y you came up with a criteria to eliminate the subjectivity and then in the end, you still had to just basically end, was, pick a yeah. guy because it yeah. just felt like he was more important. Krylock has nine <laughs> assists, and uh, no, no, because I, I, because I did talk about the where you know the 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 team finishing. So yeah, I know I recognize that I'm probably being a little hypocritical, and uh, and yes, and the irony of something that is specifically created in order to make it much more formulaic, and now I'm going much more off of uh, heart and and feel like that. But congratulations to both of them. But ultimately, when it comes to my MVP candidate, taking into account all of the uh, the data part of it that I that I've talked about, and then ultimately playing a little bit in uh, with my heart. And, so, yeah. and last thought for me on all this, uh, I still think Seattle's health is the biggest X factor in mm -hmm. these playoffs. If Jordan Morris, Lodero, Rui Diaz are all healthy and they can integrate them and because, you know, those guys haven't, well, Rui Diaz played a lot of games, but Lodero and Morris didn't play a whole lot this season. If they can reintegrate them and everything clicks there, then with all due respect to New England, but I would call Seattle the favorite and New England, Seattle would be the dream final. And I think we get it. Uh, we got US, Mexico in the Gold Cup, Brazil, Argentina in the Copa America. We got England at Wembley in the Euro final. So it's been kind of a year of dream finals working out. And I'm going to predict that we get it here. New England against Seattle. New England. All right. So in New England hosting Seattle, that will be uh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, you know, I think you mentioned it earlier. When you look at some of these teams, the ones that have a history and an understanding, intrinsic knowledge of what the playoffs are. And you mentioned Seattle and uh, and Sporting KC. Yeah, so you can play hot hands and do all that kind of stuff. But I do think that there is a value to some of these teams that have been there and done that. And they will kind of feel that familiarity of being back where they they all, all, all for, for many of them, have been consistently and where they are at their, oftentimes at their, uh, at their, uh, at their best. But, you know, Brian Schmetzer, who gets a lot of kudos and praise, the lineup that he fielded in uh, Vancouver yesterday was not the strongest, uh, the strongest lineup. And in doing so, he may have cost himself and his team that uh, that number one spot. So who knows? It might come back to uh, bite him as they uh, go along. I will say this. It was fun. You know, we, we started off this conversation talking about decision day and what it was and all of the different uh, drama that was going on. The. This um, this phenomenon, and it's not just soccer, it happens in, in a lot of sports, but this ph phenomenon of a, a, a day in a situation where other games matter and to see it um, disseminated through a crowd and to hear the flutters and the whispers and then the cheers and the oohs and the ahs as, for example, the RSL goal went in and keep in mind that the LA Galaxy game that we were doing was, I don't know, a good five, six minutes uh, behind the rest of the games. And so there was this moment when the goal goes in and now the LA Galaxy realizes and it starts to filter out to the entire stadium and to Greg Vanny and company down on the sideline that they got to score a goal. 
and they got to make sure they score a goal to make the playoffs. And obviously, Minnesota is saying we cannot let a goal in here because if we do, we are out of the playoffs. It's always fascinating to to me to see how that game of telephone works, where, you know, you get the call and down here and what you're saying. And is it is it literally, hey, RSL scored. okay, and so act and behave uh, accordingly. But you could. You know, we weren't we weren't in the stadium, but you could still see and feel and hear how that uh, had changed. And like I said, I'm, I'm sure it happens in other sports, uh, sports, too, in tournament types of settings where uh, where that happened. But it's it's a it's a fascinating thing to see. And I love it. Uh, we don't get it a whole lot, which actually makes it that much more special. Uh, anything more uh, in terms of the uh, decision day and maybe looking forward here? Uh, no, I'm good. OK, um, we're going to transition over to the U.S. men's national team because we are now, uh, as we speak here on this Monday, November 8th, into the international window and um, a very, very important one when it comes to the U.S. men's national team and their quest to qualify for Qatar. This, unlike the last two windows, is actually only a two game window. And so. Greg Berhalter and company are going to act accordingly. And it was really interesting to hear how different his take was and his thoughts and therefore his strategy is relative a two two game window relative to a three game window in that it wasn't even a question of rotating squad or players can't play. So I think we're going to see a whole lot more consistency in this case from game to game from the first game to the second game and relative to what you do in that first game is going to play a big part in what you do in the second game. So that's what I'm I'm setting it up. I will be gracing the your presence when it comes to the great uh, city of Cincinnati this week. I'll be heading off to Cincinnati to check out the U.S. Mexico game. Keep in mind also that this is a U.S. Mexico game, which which I feel is the greatest international uh, rivalry in the world. Go ahead. Come at me. No, no problem. It's not a uh, not a problem, uh, given obviously the history, given the proximity, given the connections and the intertwining and weaving of our two countries uh, and cultures, given what American soccer is, but given what American soccer isn't, given what Mexican soccer is and, and, and isn't all of those different things, given, like I said, the culture and politics and all the different things that that are put into this stew that is a U.S.-Mexico game. So even in normal circumstances, I would want to be there. But also keep in mind that this is going to be the last one that we're going to see for a while. Because uh, as we know, in 2026, the U.S., Mexico, and Canada are um, co-hosting, joint hosting the World Cup. And while it hasn't been announced, they're going to get automatic bids. And so we're not going to have a U.S. team in a type of octagonal or a hexagonal, whatever it ends up being going forward. And so that U.S.-Mexico game in World Cup qualifying that has been so monumental and has produced so many memories and, and so much history um, and mythology uh, is not going to happen. And who knows after 2026 what the World Cup cycle uh, ends up uh, ends up looking like. So this is going to be a special game. Obviously, the three points are very, very important, but also in terms of this long history of games, who knows when the next one's uh, going to be uh, going to happen. That game will happen on uh, on Friday. All right, Mossy, anything before we head off uh, to the roster here? Well, I'd, I'd love to get right into it. Okay. You mentioned because it's two games instead of three, in theory... Uh, Greg Berhalter can just put out his strongest lineup in both games and not have to worry about workload and minutes for any player. So there they can is, play two games, but they can't play three games. There is one giant caveat, which is this What's Christian that? Pulisic situation. Okay. Uh, so Christian Pulisic uh, got injured during international duty back in early September in the game against Honduras. He was out for uh, almost two months. 
He's just come back, but Chelsea don't feel like he's all the way back. He played five minutes this past weekend and 15 minutes a game before that. So he's played 20 minutes in the last two months. Uh, so they're still in this easing him back sort of mode. And now he has to get on a plane, fly to Cincinnati, potentially play all 90 minutes in this intense U.S.-Mexico game. So uh, Tuchel, come on. Tuchel has already come out and said, I hope they don't overuse him. So uh, what do you make of this situation? Yeah, I mean, he's... I think to, I can figure out what you make of it, but... If Christian Pulisic is in camp playing for the U.S. men's national team, then I expect him to be ready to play. Start him. Play him 90 minutes if he's if he's uh, able to go 90 minutes. Not not that he's not able to go... Well, if he, can't, if he can't play soccer, okay, then that's a problem. Christian Pulisic, if he can only give you five minutes, then why the hell will we bring him? I know Christian Pulisic, wonderful player, okay? But, but that doesn't do us any good. If he's coming into camp, then you're bringing him in because he can play. So you start him and you play him. He's he's arguably our our best player. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, what Tuchel's saying is what any coach is going to say. You got to protect him. And, you know, it's it's a, a, a signal flare saying, hey, e e be careful. And uh, this Greg whole Herbal. club versus country issue is red hot right now. PSG are furious that Messi was called up by Argentina for their two qualifiers. They're away to Uruguay and home to Brazil, two massive games. They obviously want Messi involved, but he's been injured. He's missed PSG's last two games. Uh, he went to Madrid to see a specialist about his knee. So in the context of all that, uh, and the fact that Argentina are in comfortable shape and qualifying, they were kind of hoping they would leave him out. But no, they called him up. So there's now a whole PSG versus Argentina battle there. In general, do you have any sympathy for the clubs that pay these salaries and then no, have to watch? you knew exactly what you were doing. You knew exactly who you were buying. You knew exactly who you were trading for. And the international game is part of who they are as players. And look, I would rather they just come out and say international soccer is stupid. All right. Our players are not going to play international soccer. And so you have to decide to not play international soccer to play for our club. Otherwise, don't be crying and whining when your players get called up to do what I think is an incredibly noble type of endeavor to represent your country. And there's a reason why they want to get on those planes. OK, and by the way, a lot of them get on those planes despite massive pressure from their clubs. I don't even think that th that, that is fair. Do, do I have sympathy for the fact that they are they are paid millions of dollars for what they do with their club team as opposed to what they're doing with their uh, their national team? Like I said, buyer beware. OK, if you don't want that, then go find a player that's not going to play with his or her uh, his or her national team. So, no, I don't have any sympathy when you uh, when you scream and yell about them getting taken away. But by the way, our friend Arsene Wenger is trying to at least deal with that issue and curtail it a little bit in the form of one window where they're gone or possibly two windows when they're gone. That's part of his plan when it comes to the, the uh, World Cup every two years. Which sounds like you're increasingly no, I'm just uh, saying in favor that, of. I'm just saying that when I see tweets. everybody screaming and yelling about this, and I, I know the, the headlines are the World Cup every two years, but part of what he is, is, uh, is proposing also is this change of the international calendar and the windows. Uh, the other big thing that got a lot of attention is no John Brooks. Mm -hmm. He's been playing well for Wolfsburg, but didn't play well for the U.S. in the qualifiers he was involved in. And so Greg Berhalter cited that uh, as a reason. And, and Brooks seemed fine with it, but others were not. They feel like there's a double standard. There's some players uh, in the squad that, that didn't play all that well either in some of these qualifiers so far. So, far. so why are they in there? Uh, what do you make of all that? Um, grow up, okay? The men's national team uh, or any national team for that matter 
is not a meritocracy. Soccer isn't fair and life isn't fair. And as I've said time and time again, a national team is about the best collection of players. It's not about the best players. And guess what? Not everybody is treated equally. And, and we'll talk more about uh, you know coaches uh, later on, but we love from the outside to say, this coach doesn't know what, know what they're doing because they're not picking X, Y, whatever uh, out there. We are not privy to the day in and day out of what that player is. We, we see the 90 minutes, which obviously is the most important thing, okay? But there are other factors that go into picking players for coaches. And, you know, the, the John Brooks scenario, I will say this. I, I was surprised. Um, I'm not saying that John Brooks was great. And keep in mind that, you know, let's say a year ago, we all would have had John Brooks penned in. It wasn't even a question. Now, who do we have penned in? Robinson, right? I mean, that's the, the first guy. And then it's who's going to pair with Robinson in, the, in that center back uh, position. But I, I appreciate John Brooks's response. And he actually put out a statement even before the roster was out, you know, explaining and, you know, taking, I guess, responsibility and accepting Greg Berhalter's decision. I thought it was, it was nice. It was mature. Uh, it was probably very strategic and will probably have the desired effect on Greg Berhalter and his uh, and his staff. But that but that one set of uh, of criteria uh, or one set of uh, rules or assessments are applied to one player and not in your mind. And I'm not saying you, but pe people out there and not in your mind being applied equally to everyone. Again, grow up. Uh, I would I would love to have the the formula, but there is no formula. If there was, we could just plug it in, and it would spit out twenty three names every single window, and those are the players uh, that are called in. But it is it is subjective. It is ultimately being these decisions are ultimately being made by human beings with all of their baggages and all of their histories, uh, and and ultimately they make what they feel is best for and gives the team the best chance of winning. And then we scream and yell and we, uh, we argue about it uh, outside. I don't think this is a game uh, breaker. I don't think that not having Brooks is the reason why this U.S. team is going to be successful or not successful uh, this window. There's plenty of talent in, in the likes of, and shall we go through some of these uh, players then if, we, if we're talking about it? Uh, or, well, since we're talking about you know, center back type of positions, uh, a lot of people in, the, in that analysis will look at someone like Mark McKenzie and say, well, you know, why is he called? Uh, why is he called in? Uh, which he was, as I said, Miles Robinson, I think right now is the one in pen right now. Who's going to be next to him? I think it's going to be Walker Zimmerman. Um, you know, I don't think that Chris Richards yet uh, is at that point where everybody is excited or not that not everybody's excited, but everybody, and when I say everybody, I mean, and the coaching staff is confident yet to put him in, which is ar against arguably the most the most difficult opponent. Not that he, that he wouldn't do well, but I just don't think that that's going to happen. Joe Scally, 
who a lot of people have been calling for for a long time, finally gets a, uh, a call up here, the Borussia Mönchengladbach def uh, defender. Where he plays, it's going to be a, a question. Uh, uh, Sergino Dest is out, yeah. uh, and Scally, like Dest, can play on the right or left side. So, so we'll see. I mean, that's that's going to be interesting uh, to see because he's done really well over there in the in the Bundesliga. And, you know, once again, Greg Berhalter is not afraid to just, you know, throw in some different people and see what's uh, see what's going on. Uh, we, we, we skipped over the goalkeepers. Let's go back to the goalkeeper, unless there's something you want to say. Uh, defense. All right. So goalkeeper, Zach Steffen, Matt Turner and Sean Johnson. I think this is going to be fascinating as to who he ultimately picks. I have no idea who he's going to pick on Friday to play against Mexico. We know that Matt Turner has had a hell of a year. And then we saw that last game of the three in the previous window where Zach Steffen played. And then Zach Steffen, by the way, then went back to England and actually got some games for Manchester City, which is one of the knocks against Zach Steffen, which being the second, uh, the number two, you're not going to play a whole lot. So uh, it would not surprise me in the least if he starts Zach Steffen. I would start Matt Turner. I think Matt Turner is a better shot stopper. Uh, I have, they're both good goalkeepers, so don't get me wrong. I think we're going to be fine with either one of them. But if I had my way, I would start Matt Turner. I think, like I said, I think he's a better shot stopper. And I think in this particular game against Mexico, whatever deficiencies he has with his feet, and I think it's kind of a, it's at this point, it's becoming ridiculous because it's not as if he can't pass the ball. And actually, I think he's improved greatly with his feet. But whatever deficiency that he has, I don't think that they're going to come into play against a team like uh, like Mexico. Who do you think he starts in goal, Masi? Turner. Yeah? Which is who I would start as okay. well. I, I don't know. I get this feeling he's going to start Stefan. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Um, okay. Uh, midfielders? Want to go to midfielders? Yeah. Anything uh, stand out to you uh, there? Kellen Acosta, Sebastian Legette, uh, Christian Roldan, Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, Eunice Musa, and Gianluca Busio. And, and uh, Greg Berhalter in his press conference was effusive about young uh, Gianluca Busio. So he's really happy about his progress as he continues to play over there with Venencia in uh, Serie A. Uh, no, that's a very, very strong compliment of midfielders. Weston McKinney is in fantastic form with Juventus. We'll see if that carries over. Uh, I guess we're calling... Gio Reyna, more of a forward, so I won't mention the fact that he's out yet. Okay. Well, when we get to the forwards, we'll, we'll talk about that. Okay. Uh, who do you think the three are going to be? Weston, Tyler Adams, and, and then I guess it's the question of that third one. Eunice Musa's looked uh, good at times. Yeah, I like Musa. That would be my three. Okay. You, you, you do, uh, okay. All right. Uh, yeah, I think, I think, you, I don't know. I mean, I think the way he talked about Busio, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I think either way, we're, we're, we're good. And maybe Bustio's better coming off the bench and kind of changing the game and doing some different things. Um, okay. And then up uh, up top. <laughs> All right. The Pepe train. We're just going to keep riding this Pepe train. So Ricardo Pepe, uh, Paul Ariola, Christian Pulisic, as we mentioned, uh, Timothy Weah, Brendan Aronson, and then uh, Jesus Ferreira, who for those that, that, first off, he's playing well at FC Dallas, but I don't, I mean... I don't know if people remember at the beginning of the year. I mean, Jesus Ferreira was like this false nine savior that was even before we were talking about Pepe. So he's back in the fold here. And uh, that raised some eyebrows. It always cracked me up. We did a U.S. men's national team friendly in which Ferreira played. And we we interviewed Greg Berhalter before the game. And we asked him to describe uh, Ferreira. And Berhalter said he's a Firmino-esque center forward. And then shortly thereafter, we did a U.S. women's game. And we interviewed Carly Lloyd. And we asked her, at this point in your career, how would you describe yourself? And she said, I'm a Firmino-esque center forward. There's something about that Firmino comparison that 
players like to make. They feel like it connotes versatility and modernity. You know, Firmino is such a unique player that uh, other they, want, guys. <laughs> they don't want to say they're a false nine, but they want to at least separate themselves yeah. from the, well, I'm not a Lewandowski. I'm not, you know, the. It the is class. interesting. And, and, and Berhalter, again, back to the very first thing you said, uh, it's only two games uh, instead of three. So Pepe can start both. And, and so he didn't feel like there had to be a second out and out center forward in the squad. Uh, which, so there's no DK and no sergeant, nobody like that. Uh, so he goes with Ferreira as, and, and Timothy Way could also in a pinch play as that center, other center forward. So, um, so yeah, we'll see. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's Pepe all the way here. Of course, he's going to start. Well, you know, as is often the case, and I, and I think that this is a reflection on the amount of talent and depth that the U.S. has at this point and the excitement relative to that talent, as is the case when these rosters get dropped immediately. Uh, people have uh, disagreements and people that were left off and Luca Della Cotore and, you know, these types of players. And 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 obviously when players like Sebastian Legette uh, or Christian Roldan, um, you know, are, are are called in, you know, people, it they bristle at this. And that's, you know, this is a good thing, you know. But, but as I said before, we are going to have disagreements and that we actually have disagreements means that there are other options. And I'll be honest with you, in the past, we haven't had a whole other a whole other option when it comes to a lot of these positions. It's interesting how much he's moved off of DK. I know he had a rough mm-hmm. summer, but he was injured and he seems to be playing well again with Orlando. And so I would have I, I would have definitely called uh, DK in because I think he provides a different look for this team. I and mean, look, I'm going to knock on I'm, knock on wood that Pepe stays healthy and I obviously scores goal but at some point that train's going to run out of tracks and what what is our go-to here well it looks like it's Ferreira uh, Jesus Ferreira which is a very different type of player so I guess he brings something a little bit different too but Daryl DK certainly is a very very different in in terms of the uh the type of player he is now so who do you think the three are up top here? Well, so Reina's out. And by the way, that injury of his is dragging right? a long time. He's, That's a concern there. just half a year, basically. Uh, so I think this really uh, puts Brendan Aronson in the spotlight, a player who I love. Um, so I'd like to see Burhalter. I think he's got to be on the field. I think yeah. Brendan Aronson, by the way, even with Reina, I, I mean, Brendan Aronson has played himself, I think, into a starting position and certainly into my heart, and I know uh, a lot of people out there with with what he does. So, so I'd like it to be uh, Pulisic if if we're Pulisic, in agreement Pepe. that screw Chelsea that Pulisic needs to start this game. Oh, I think uh, that's Evergreen. Screw uh, Chelsea. Okay, yeah. Uh, so uh, Pulisic, Aronson, and Pepe would be my front three. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's what uh, I think that's what he's going to go with. I mean, I, we know he likes Paul Ariola. I mean, he, Paul Ariola was going to start all three games, and he got hurt on, on the last one, so he likes him maybe with his energy out there on that uh, right hand side. You know, keep in mind this is this is Mexico, okay? So this is a whole nother level of competition, and we're going to go back to that well now three times in terms of playing Mexico in the last couple of months, and. Obviously, it went great the first couple of times, and it would be horrible in this, the most important of the three, if we went there and we found that well was dry. And uh, we know Mexico had much closer to a full-strength squad for the Gold Cup, but two guys that were absent that day were uh, Raul Jimenez and Chucky Lozano. They're in the squad this time around. A very experienced squad. You've got, uh, you know, Guardado, Edson Alvarez, Hector Herrera, Jesus Corona, Chucky Raul Jimenez, Hector Moreno at the back there. I, I driving in, I saw that they lost Cesar Montes. That, that's a big miss. I'm a I'm a huge fan of his. You got Memo Cho in goal. So, uh, yeah, he's not uh, screwing around uh, Tata here for this game. He wants a lot of experience on the field. So, uh, that's what's your be. comfort level with the game this Friday against uh, Mexico? How uh, confident are you? 
not great uh, because Reyna and Dest are out and Pulisic, I think, is going to be less than 100%. So some of the pillars of your team aren't, aren't you know, so... Um, I, have, I, I have yet to meet anybody that says it like that, that, that doesn't say it like that, excuse me. Everyone's kind of worried and not great, not necessarily confident. I, I may be living in la-la land and I, I, I'm much more bullish and confident. It's not that I don't have worries and a little bit of trepidation because it's Mexico. And don't think for a second that Mexico isn't licking their chops at an opportunity to uh, to come in. And of like I said, of these games that we are playing this year, take the most important one. Uh, Mexico, incidentally, there are two games in this window away to the U.S., away to Canada. That's not easy, right? That's not easy. So, yeah, I mean, this is... I mean, and so, by the way, uh, the second game is away uh, for the U.S. is, is away to uh, Jamaica. Also not easy. And although Jamaica is not in um, a great position from the, uh, the octagonal perspective, they're going to they're going to come with all guns blazing, too. All right. So ultimately, when uh, when we look at this, uh, as we said, it's happening on Friday, uh, November 12th at the great in the great city of uh, Cincinnati, where. <laughs> I mean, there's not that that city. That city has not seen a lot of winning, uh, shall we say, <laughs> when it comes to that stadium. So hopefully, this is something very, very different for everybody in uh, in Cincinnati and Greg Berhalter and company come in and do the damage against uh, Mexico yet again. But uh, so now all, all that screaming and yelling that comes after the roster, then the next one's going to be Friday when the screaming and yelling comes about the eleven and what Greg did right, what Greg did wrong, uh, and then. Uh, obviously, after the game, all the uh, recriminations or I guess the begrudging uh, plaudits uh, to Greg Berhalter for what he did. Uh, anything else, Mossy, in terms of the U.S.? That's it. All right, let's take a real quick break. When we come back, uh, we'll take a spin around the world and all the stuff that was going on. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, we're back. Uh, should we start off with the uh, Premier League? Ole in, Ole out, Ole in, Ole out. Where are we at now with uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as far as you see it? So they fall at home to Manchester City 2-0. I thought this performance was worse than the Liverpool game. Uh, if, if you recall that Liverpool game, they had some chances early. Even Klopp came out afterwards and said, boy, United could have easily gone ahead 1-0 and it might have been a different game. This one, there was no other game it was ever going to be. Uh, I know City possessed the ball great. We know how they play, but it was still startling the degree to which they dominated that first half. Outside of that one Ronaldo left-footed volley, which Ederson saved, the rest of the half was an offense versus defense drill. And the only reason City weren't up by more is that De Gea stood on his head in that first half. Now, he was at fault in the Bernardo Silva goal at the end there, but he made several other saves. And also, City don't have a guy like Mo Salah to translate their dominance into goals as much as Liverpool have. So uh, so we got out of the half only 2-0, and then City took the foot off the gas in the second half and just kind of saw out the game. So it ended a respectable scoreline, but I thought the performance was a disgrace. And so, <laughs> the, yeah, I mean, the the possession situation and we know that possession doesn't always 
equate to either either success or winning or even necessarily a a, a good team. But to to your point, the type of possession that Manchester City had, the ease in which not only they kept possession, but the ease in which they uh, reclaimed the ball from Manchester United. You know, there's some teams that have no problem not having the ball and they just they lay in wait and then they they pounce. This Manchester United team is not that. And so you you kept waiting for that. OK, here, you know, here it comes. They're going to go back and forth and Man City's going to do their thing and the ticky tock, blah, 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 blah. And then the ball is going to transition over and boom, out we go. And there's going to be opportunities. None of that. Absolutely none of that. And is that is that because they don't have the players? Is that because of Oli? Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I ask I ask you, Moss. Well, we, we talked about how. In the Tottenham game, he played that formation with a, a back three and two up top. Mm -hmm. And whether that was the way forward or it was only a formation that would work against certain opponents. And so he went back to the well with that. Now, personnel a little bit different because Varane was out. So it was Lindelof, Bailly, and Maguire. And then Cavani was out. So Greenwood started uh, up top alongside Ronaldo. But same shape from that Tottenham game. And here it didn't make sense at all because you're playing a back three against a City team that doesn't have a center forward. So um, so that was part of the problem. They were outnumbered in other parts of the field where they needed to have more players to be able to win the ball back. And so uh, so I think uh, he did have a hand in this Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, yeah, and it was... And listen, that Ronaldo thing, you know, uh, in midweek in the Champions League, he has a spectacular brace, including that uh, fantastic late equalizer. So, so folks like you are sort of, you know, puffing your chest out. You see, you see how great he is. And then a game like this, the critics come out in full force again and talk about how his uh, unwillingness to press is where the problems start, and it puts so much pressure on that midfield. And and yeah, I mean, but he's Cristiano Ronaldo, so of course he's going to get the crap. It's all going to be heaped on him because he's a convenient. Uh, easy and very clear type of person to put it on because of because of who he is. He understands that better than anybody. But this was this was not because of Cristiano Ronaldo. Okay, <laughs> again, this is not this is not Cristiano Ronaldo's fault. What what is going on here? So at some point, the blame has to be laid at the feet of somebody. Okay, and yet we continue to see Ole just continue on. I mean, is this ever going to change? Well. First of all, let me just say, uh, it didn't affect the outcome, so it became a footnote, but I ripped MLS for a VAR moment, so I'm going to do the, rip the Premier League as well. Late in the game, there was a play. It was Brazil on Brazil crime. Gabriel Jesus was taken down by Alex Telles, and they did not give a penalty on that play, which was like Twilight Zone stuff for me. I mean, did you see that play? I, mean, I, I, I really don't understand. what. I, I, the only thing I can think of is the VAR guy had left the room to go to the bathroom or something, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so, so really it should have been 3-0. That's assuming City convert the penalty, which they haven't been great at the last couple of years. But nevertheless, yeah, as far as Solskjaer, again, I, I come back to this. The issue is you have to, to me, he needs to go for sure. But you have to have a manager lined up to replace him. And, and the logical guy would have been Conti. And because they waited, they didn't sack him after Liverpool game. Tottenham cut in front of United and got him. And by all accounts, Zidane doesn't want it. And, you know, people keep mentioning Eric Ten Hag, but he's gainfully employed right now. An Ajax side that's one of the best teams in Europe uh, this season. And, and th there is this sort of Premier League arrogance that, you know, New Newcastle found out with when I am read that, you know, this notion that you can just swoop in and pluck a manager from another team midseason, it, it's not going to be that easy. So I, I would but rule out Ten Hag right now. I mean, maybe at the end of the season, but he's going to want to see out this campaign with Ajax and see where it goes. Uh, so that's the issue. You don't really have a guy right now to replace him. Do you honestly think that Manchester United lost out on Conte? I mean, 
if they had wanted Conte, they they could have they they could have done this any time. I mean, I I don't I don't think that's the case. I don't think they're going. Oh yeah, it was lost out. Now they might have gone to him, and he ultimately picked one over the other. But I don't think that this is a situation where they waited too late. Well, yeah, I don't I don't know what conversations. Reportedly, there were some talks between United and Conte. So. Did they tell him, hey, we're going to kind of give Solskjaer a little bit longer, but if he doesn't pan out, just be ready to go. And then Tottenham came in and said, well, we're offering something to you right now. So Conte just decided to, I mean, you, you don't think that's... But if they did that, that's not, that's not missing out because they knew that there was going to be other opportunities out there for... Uh, the reason why they're going to him is because he's sought after and he's valuable. So th- that should have factored... Uh, that should have factored... All I'm saying is, if Manchester United really wanted Conte, they would have gotten him. It would have happened. I mentioned Newcastle. Can we go to that for a second? Because I found this whole coaching search fascinating. Uh, Newcastle, we know the long-term prospects there are now fantastic. But you wonder, right now, in the year 2021, is that an attractive job? And I think they recognize they can't get a top, top manager right now. They have to build that up a bit and get to the point where they're challenging for trophies before they can even dream of getting a Pep or a Klopp or somebody on that level. But they thought they could get Unai Emery, who would be already a step up from somebody like Steve Bruce, a good manager that's won trophies and managed big clubs. But... It sounds like even Unai Emery was was reluctant because what am I inheriting right now? Uh, so uh, so Newcastle ended up having to go even further down the pecking order just in terms of pedigree, and they've appointed Eddie Howe. And by the way, there's a school of thought that that's the type of manager they needed to hire anyway, that you need to crawl before you can walk, and they just need a guy that's going to keep them up this season. And so getting a big-name manager that's never really been in a relegation battle in his career doesn't really make much sense right now. Just get a guy that's, you know, adept at these situations. So maybe it'll work out for the best. But it's just Newcastle trying to figure out how attractive that job is right now, and when are they going to have built it up to the point where they can go after top managers? It's going to be fascinating yeah. for me over the next couple I, of years. Look, uh, to your point, I, I do think that there is a value to coaches, managers uh, who are able to get the elite to function as the elite, and and that is a upper echelon type of of manager. But if if Eddie Howe is your guy, like. Uh, if he builds it up to that point, wouldn't he have a much better knowledge and understanding and fundamental because of having been in there day in and day out as opposed to just then handing it off to somebody else? I mean, so I, to your point, it, 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 this might ultimately be the best person. And those, you know, those guys waiting in the wings saying, oh, I'll take it when it's when it's actually you know, much better. <laughs> That's like, screw you. OK, <laughs> but 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 I, you know, I argue against myself when I, when I do recognize that there are those that can come in and do great things with elite uh, super club type of tools that others can't. But yeah, so just to wrap up the Premier League, it was a great weekend for Manchester City because Liverpool lost to West Ham. And by the way, hats off to David Moyes. What a phenomenal job he's doing with West Ham. Chelsea were held to a 1-1 draw by Burnley. Um, so Dan, Where did David Moyes used to coach? Manchester United. Really? He was the first uh, you know, post. Uh, he was the Rich Rodriguez of say. Manchester he United. He was a coach. At, and, and hats off to him. You think he's a great coach, wonderful coach. Doing a phenomenal job okay. here. What, so you just couldn't do it at a big club like Manchester United? Okay. Being that first guy after. Would you rather years. have Ole or him right now? Uh, I'd rather have David Moyes. <laughs> the crap that that dude took 
And then finally, Arsenal, after a terrible start to the season, they're flying. They beat Watford 1-0. They've shot up to fifth. So uh, our, uh, watch our out friend, for the um, Marisa Du, who's an Arsenal fan, he, he was a little sheepish. He came in and said, hey, yeah, yeah, you see Arsenal? You see what's going on? I mean, they're just... You know, Arteta is just saying, listen, Ola, you keep doing what you're doing because you're taking all of the attention and focus off a, a young, unproven type of manager. And meanwhile, they're just amassing points and creeping up. And now the hope will kill you, right? Because Mo was talking about, hey, you know, we're this many points behind this person. This <laughs> so now he's starting to think big. <laughs> um, so that's it in England. Let's transition okay. to Spain, where before we get to the games, uh, there was a fascinating managerial situation here, which was Xavi. Um, you know, Barcelona right now, everything has to be a little bit messy, no pun intended. Uh, I predicted this on the podcast that the Qataris w- would be tough to negotiate with. And sure enough, they there was a buyout clause in Xavi's contract and they wanted to hold Barcelona to it. While Barcelona are in such dire financial straits that they were trying to do everything they could to negotiate that down. Um, so this dragged on for several days. It got to the point of being awkward. Uh, and, and the whole dynamic was funny because Barcelona are ostensibly the super club. Well, who the heck is Al Saad? And yet from a financial standpoint, Al Saad have all the money. Well, Barcelona right now have none. Yeah. So it was a funny negotiation, but they did eventually come to some sort of agreement and Barcelona got their man. Xavi uh, will be their next manager. So is this good or bad? Uh, I, I think it's good. Um, Why? Because you I, love Xavi and I do. I lo- love player. him as a player, and he he to me has. Who the, the hell cares? How, the f- what he, well, what does being a player have to anything to do with it? I just think he has the feel of somebody that's going to be a, a top manager too. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, by the way, at his press conference today, he confirmed the fact uh, that uh, he was approached by the Brazilian Federation, and this was reported before the Copa America. And Chichi, uh, he didn't. 100% confirmed, but he intimated that it was true. And then Xavi 100% confirmed it today that he was approached by the Brazilian Federation to be Chichi's assistant at this next World Cup with an eye towards replacing him after the 2022 World Cup. That is fascinating on so many levels. If this was a Brazilian soccer podcast, I could spend an hour on that, but it's not. So we'll move on. But just putting that out there that, you know, there's been all this talk about whether Brazil would ever hire a foreign manager. Apparently they were ready to, and it would have been Xavi. Well, we know how you feel about foreign managers yes. when it comes to the international game. Um, so, so, uh, so, uh, Barcelona, they played their, their first game after the Xavi announcement. He wasn't the coach yet. It was still the interim guy. Away to Celta Vigo. They race out to a 3-0 uh, first half lead. Ansu Fati scores a great goal. Uh, two other teenagers from La Masia, Gavi and Nico Gonzalez, are playing great. So you allowed yourself to think, well, you know, the, the, the dark clouds are lifting here. You've got Xavi coming in. You've got all this young talent. And sure enough, Ansu Fati gets hurt. He comes off. It sounds like he's going to be out several weeks, which is a terrible break for that kid because he's had all sorts of injury problems. And Barcelona surrender three second half goals, including a stoppage time equalizer. So it finishes 3-3. Unbelievable. So when, when shot, when's, when's his first game? When, when will he be? Uh, like, presumably the first game after the international break. Okay. I think he'll be ready right. to go. So what, what are your expectations of him? I mean, is this... Greg, Greg Vanny long-term type of situation where you're, we won't really judge him. I mean, what, what's fair when it comes to Xavi, who's still taking over Barcelona right now with, with plenty of talent, albeit not the talent that they've had in the past, but what's fair to judge a player? Uh, I call him a player because we still look at him kind of a, like a player. What's fair to judge Xavi as? Um, I said this last week, they have to resist the urge to try to have a quick fix here. You're still seeing Barcelona's name floated around in the transfer market with some expensive players. That's not the way to go. They, they do have some interesting young talent. Xavi is a young manager with lots of potential. Uh, let him and these young players and the team grow over the next couple of years. I, I think they just have to accept that this is a, a rebuilding process. 
So where does that put them in the in the standings? I mean, they got to make Champions League, right? It would be great, but even that shouldn't define this season as a success or failure. Just it's just if if they play well and some of these young players develop and they feel like they're they're wow, how the mighty have fallen! My <laughs> goodness. By the way, it's not Mostin Club then. No, by it's the not way, even a club. You thought the Barcelona game would be the most improbable comeback of the weekend in Spain, but it arguably wasn't because Atletico Madrid had a three-one lead away to Valencia. They surrendered two stoppage time goals, ninety plus two, ninety plus six. It ended three-three. So wild weekend in Spain. Real Madrid flirted with disaster. They were up two 0 at home over Rayo Vallecano. Radamel Falcón pulled one back, and and then. Rayo had chances late to equalize. Real Madrid were holding on for dear life. They did get the win 2-1. So uh, of those big three, they were the one that came out with a victory this weekend. Uh, Sevilla won away to Betis. So they're near the top of the standings. So it's all happening in Spain. <laughs> it's all happening. <laughs> Look, it's all about Xavi. Let's be honest. That's, what's, that's what the story is going to be. It'll be interesting to see. All right, I want to move to uh, Bundesliga? Sure. Okay. Um, Big weekend for Jesse Marsh. Yes, huge. After a rough, rough start to the season, they lost three of their first four in the Bundesliga. They're now unbeaten in seven, and this was the biggest win so far. I know Dortmund are banged up, no Holland, but still, uh, 2-1 victory. And Kunku scored again. He's been one of the best players in Europe this season. Uh, so Leipzig well, they'll sell. They'll sell. <laughs> Uh, Leipzig have shot up to fifth, so that's nice to see on Jesse Marsh. It's great. Uh, it's great. I mean, look, the, the knives are out for any you know coach at different times but if you're an american coach uh with all the talent and and all the uh the opportunity that you're given they're going to come out extra extra early and they were they've been sheathed uh, again but you never know when they'll come out again but he needed this and uh and his players responded and by the way this was coming off a very good performance against psg in the champions league uh, amazingly enough psg almost escaped with all three points from this game if it wasn't for an imbecilic penalty given away by Kimpembe at the end, they would have somehow won this game 2-1. But still, overall, on balance of play, PSG were lucky to get a point because Leipzig was the much better team. They missed the penalty in the first half. Unkunku also scored in that game against his former club. And Jesse Marsh was unhappy with the refereeing afterwards. He said that it looked like the official wanted Neymar's autograph, uh, which was kind of a funny line. But still, you could already see that Leipzig had really turned the corner in that game because I thought they played very well. So yeah, Jesse's got, got it going there now. All right. Anything else? Bundesliga-wise? Um, well, Bayern, uh, they beat Freiburg uh, 2-1, and Lewandowski scored. But uh, with Lewandowski, I want to harken back to the Champions League because uh, in his 100th Champions League appearance, he got a hat-trick, Bayern thumping Fika 5-2. Uh, Robert Lewandowski has 81 goals in 100 Champions League appearances. That is like Messi-Ronaldo stuff. That is insane. All right, so he's the player of the year, right? Uh, I, I, <laughs> Most solid people are going to yell and scream yeah. <laughs> It's amazing. I mean, what, what he's done and what could he, uh, what he continues to do. By the way, that it only finished two to one was amazing. That was, uh, the the right? Freiburg game. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, I mean, because they were yeah. all over. They were going back and forth, and the ability we talked earlier about even a team like Bayern Munich at times they would just sit back and they would just open themselves up, and uh, Bayern Munich was just doing patterns to goal. And very quickly on the Champions League, four teams through to the round of sixteen: uh, Bayern, Liverpool, Ajax, and Juventus. So Bayern among those four, uh, and then transitioning to Dortmund by the way mentioned they lost to Leipzig and they had lost at home to Ajax in the Champions League so bad few days for them uh no Holland obviously so that that's a big part of that 
Uh, transitioning to Serie A, the big game was the Milan Derby. It finished 1-1, both goals early. Tradanolu against his former club, and then a De Vrij own goal. So it finished 1-1 there, but no harm for Milan because Napoli also tied 1-1 against Verona. Giovanni Simeone scored again. Uh, so Napoli and Milan stay level on points on top. Inter stay seven points back. The other result that's worth mentioning, Venezia... Uh, beat uh, Jose Mourinho's Roma 3-2. They started Buzio and brought on Tessman. So first time ever that a Serie A team fielded two Americans. You, you know, you are two Americans in Serie A what Dr. Dre is to West Coast hip hop, the grandfather of it all. So this must fill you with immense pride. Does that make me o OG? Is that yes. Say it? Uh, okay. That's awesome. That's awesome that there were two Americans on for a Serie A team and, uh, and, that they, and that they were on for the win. So, you know, they, they, they still... I think continue to punch above their weight, which is which is great, which is exactly what you need to do. And they're they're keeping themselves involved from an individual perspective, but also their team. And if they do that, they will be forever remembered in Venezia. Uh, Jose Mourinho, after a nice start where he was coming mm. off very charming and delightful, and he's learned from his past mistakes. We've seen this before. Only one win in the last seven. They couldn't even beat that Norwegian team at home that beat them 6-1. You figure the next time around, they'd right. get revenge there, and they tied 2-2. Two -two. Uh, and he's starting to look grouchy the again. Or, yeah, the ornery <laughs> and grouchy uh, Jose Mourinho, which is just as entertaining and interesting, to be quite honest. Uh, last, last thing, and then we're done in this segment. Um, uh, PSG beat Bordeaux 3-2 uh, to two this past weekend. Neymar had his best game of the season scored two beautiful goals both assisted by Mbappe uh file this under the category of things that only I care about okay um it's a big a, file man about a year or two ago Neymar scored a goal and it was widely reported as his 300th career goal for club and country which it was not he had way more than that but everybody treats this transfer market site like it's the bible and their numbers are wildly off for certain players including Neymar they don't include 66 goals he scored for Santos in the state championships and so I've been counting up since then until he got to 400, and I was assuming nobody would report it because they were erroneously going off transfer market, and I was going to go on a big rant about it on this podcast. So sure enough, this weekend he scored goals 400 and 401 of his career, and yet, to my pleasant surprise, everybody reported it. So sometime in the last year, everybody figured out what the correct numbers were. Uh, in so this day and age, how do you miss goals, though? I mean, they missed 60 goals that the guy scored? Because uh, Brazil, they have these state championships, which no other country has. So maybe that website, Transfer Market, is not equipped to count those. Uh, but, I mean, they, they... Well, that's a problem. <laughs> yes. I would think. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, the, the correct number is this past weekend, he scored goals 400 and 401. He's had a rough start to the season, so it was nice to see this performance. You need to get yourself a, a consortium of, of uh, like-minded people together and, and come up with a, a better website that, uh, that takes into, all, into account all of this kind of stuff. So there you have it. That all was right. the weekend in Europe. All right. Well, thank you for that, uh, that roundup. All sorts of good stuff coming uh, when it comes uh, to Europe and elsewhere that, we, uh, that we've talked about. Uh, but now we find ourselves in the international window. So all of these teams and all of these players will, well, not all of them, but some of them will get a rest and other ones we will be seeing playing for their, uh, their country. All right, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, oh, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. All right, we're back and it's time for Ask Alexi. You send in those comments, questions and concerns. You use that hashtag Ask Alexi or you call our hotline. Once again, our hotline 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. And you give us a little audio question, comment or concern. I think we got one of those uh, today. I think we got one from Chris, who is evidently in Chicago. What does Chris have to say? Hi, guys. This is Alex from Chicago. 
Um, not sure if you guys have had this question before or not, but in a hypothetical world, let's say bottom of the league, Norwich in the Premier League, would they be able to come to the MLS and dominate? You know, since there's like that stereotype of Premier League clubs being the most elite of the elite, um, do you think Norwich City, with the squad they have now, would be able to dominate, uh, let's say, the Western Conference since They've got, you know, the Sounders, Sporting KC, LAFC, the Galaxy, and et cetera. Uh, let me know your thoughts. Thanks. All right. His name's not Chris. <laughs> uh, Luis Aguilar. Is Alex? Is that what he said his name was? That, that's a bad one. Well, Luis, we'll, what's we'll, his name? We'll address that after the pop. I don't think he said Chris from Chicago. I think he said something else. But it doesn't matter. Whatever. We'll figure it out. Uh, all right. If it's Alex from Chicago, then... This is to you, Alex. If it's Chris from Chicago, this is to you, Chris. Either way. Um, it's a good question, though. And it's a it's a fun little exercise. What do you think, Mossy? Um, okay. I, and we've I've 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 done this before. A while ago, we had an ask Alexi, how would the best MLS right. teams fare in the Premier League? You said they would do well. Predictably, that drew a strong reaction on Twitter. So this is essentially flipping the question around. Right. How would the worst teams in the Premier League fare in MLS? I I maintain that the challenges that teams and players face in Major League Soccer are wholly different uh, and unique relative to pretty much anywhere else in the world. Uh, when you factor in the, um, the travel, uh, the different types of play, the different types of surfaces, the different types of weather, uh, and the manufactured parity between leagues. And a lot of people don't necessarily have that. Luis, you got something to say? Luis, Luis just texted me, it was Alex. It's Luis, Alex. the guy said Alex. I think he knows his own name. We didn't need you to confirm that. We, we've established you had it wrong. All right, it's Alex. It's definitely Alex. That's fine. That's okay. But, but you know, so, so what I'm saying is this is a fish out of water, okay? This is a very, very different type of equation. So while, while I could recognize that this would be an upper echelon type of talent, uh, in, in terms of uh, Norwich coming in, when we know where they are uh, in the EPL. I think ultimately that this is a team that would finish middle of the pack. What do you think? It's funny. To me, this is less a question of MLS versus the Premier League. It's MLS versus the championship because Norwich have been that proverbial yo-yo club but the last few years. But whenever they've been in the championship, they've been dominant. They've, they've won the last two seasons they've spent in the championship. Mm -hmm. And we know how English folk feel about the championship. I, I sometimes feel like they have more pride in that league than they do the Premier League. And they, they feel like it's very strong. And I'm sure most English folk feel like the championship is stronger than MLS. So, of course, a team that would win that league would, would fare just fine in MLS. But you, you reject that premise. I reject it wholeheartedly. I, I, uh, I reject it. Where do you, so where do you think they finish? I, I don't think they would dominate. That's a bit strong. I think they'd finish near the top. I didn't say they would dominate. No, no, no. The, the, the question is, would they dominate? Oh, would uh, they dominate? No, they would definitely not dominate. But I also don't think that they would be bottom dwellers in the way they are uh, in the way they are right now. It would get Josh Sargent in MLS, which is something I've been... It, it would get him in MLS. I'm not sure he'd play, but... <laughs> So he could not play in England and then also not play in the United States and Canada. So it's a good it's a good question. I, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say, uh, Alex, if that is your real name uh, or Chris, uh, depending on uh, what, what actually is the is the truth. And, and, and other po uh, folks out there, let us know what you think in terms of uh, uh, of that question. It's a good one. What else, Mossy? What else we got? 
Okay, the, the next two are Twitter questions. Luis Aguilar claims that it's Tom <laughs> Burns that asked this next one. Uh, why do people so irrationally hate coaches so much? I think that the hate is a little strong, but it's probably not in certain cases, but, but certainly the dissatisfaction and the uh, willingness and almost the, the, the excitement to criticize coaches, managers stems from the fact that while we look at players and for almost everybody out there looking at that at, at players in no way shape or form do we picture ourselves being able to do what they do on the field when it comes to coaches and managers where no physical ability is needed in order to do the job I think we're much more apt to put ourselves in those shoes and we're much more comfortable of putting ourselves in those shoes and saying, yeah, I could do that. Now, I know that's a little simplistic, but I think that that's why we we find such ease in criticizing and in your words, hating coaches, because we have our own ideas of what should be happening and we actually find a way to convince ourselves that there is a world where we could actually be in that position and doing better than this person that we are watching at, that is making us throw stuff at our, at our, at our TV screen. So I, I, I don't, and, and are they irrational? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying necessarily that people are irrational or unfounded with their takes and their criticisms of coaches. And I think it's every coach understands that, inherent in that position is is criticism and you open yourself up to criticism on a continual basis because of the, some of the things uh, that they that I've talked about and it, it comes from a good place it comes from a belief that you know better than that person who in many cases has a much longer history much longer schooling um, and to be quite honest with you a much better perspective than you will ever have but it doesn't stop you and, and nor should it stop me or you or anybody else out there from continuing to uh, to criticize. That's you know, that's part of being a fan. That's part of being in sports is saying that we know better than those people that have you know the clipboards or the iPads uh, or the the resume, if you will. I don't know. What do you think, Mossy? Why do you think that that they come into? I think so you nailed it. That's, that's the reason. Okay. Yeah. All right. We cool. know we can't play, but everybody imagines that they could coach if they were put in that situation. Okay. That's, and that's not, and I know it's easy sometimes to dehumanize these, these people. And we've talked about this before when we, you know, we make a sport out of sacking and firing and, and doing all these uh, things. But, you know, I, I think they recognize what, what they are in for when they become coaches. And I think if it's done, in the right way, it can also it can also foster some really good debate. Not that they necessarily are are, are listening to it, but nothing's going to stop that. Nothing's going to stop people in all sports, not just in soccer, in all sports, of thinking that they can do a better job of the person in charge. And it's part of, to be quite honest, what I love about sports. All right, Mossy, anything else? What else? Last question. Trevor Lewis asks: Did your soccer career result from your failures as a hockey player? Um. No, abs absolutely. My soccer career resulted in the fact that I had mastered the sport of hockey. For those that don't know, I grew up in Michigan. In Michigan, it is the law that you have to play hockey. I grew up playing on uh, 
ponds and lakes and um, backyard, flooded backyards and driveways and all that kind of stuff. So I grew up in that type of uh, hockey environment. And there was a point where I played more hockey than soccer. And um, I was very good at hockey, if I do say so my damn self. Uh, no, I, it got to a point where I really gravitated towards soccer. And I played hockey all the way through high school and all the way into college. Uh, it got to a point, though, where I started to gravitate to soccer, not just because I was good at it, but I really enjoyed the culture and I really enjoyed the people involved, especially in that in, in that compare and contrast with with hockey. And that's not necessarily a shot. I guess it is at the, the hockey culture, but it was just soccer was so different. And I've talked before about how I loved the fact that that so many people play the game and that I was being part of this game that's played globally and that I'm sitting on my sidewalk juggling a ball and there's a kid on the other side of the world doing the exact same thing that I have nothing in common with other than this game. And so that reach, that global reach of the sport really attracted me uh, to soccer. But I mean, I played so much hockey uh, growing up um, and I love it. I still play, play hockey as, as an adult and I love I love the feeling of skating. Uh, it obviously brings me back to to a time, like I said, when you know I would play in the backyard for hours and hours and hours. And I'll never forget the day that I came home with a flyer uh, to my parents. My dad was a professor. My my mom was a a writer, and they did not they were not, were not involved in sports and did not know a whole lot about sports. And I said, I want to play hockey, and we went and. My mom bought me these skates and I you know, started at mites and then went to Bantam, squirts and bantams and did all that kind of stuff that a lot of people still do when it comes uh, to hockey. So I have an, a great affinity and love for hockey. I think it made me a better soccer player playing hockey. Um, but yeah, I was really good at hockey, <laughs> if, I, if I do say so myself. And I do. Uh, anything else, Mossy? That's it. All right, listen, use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there for our Ask Alexi uh, segment and send them on in. And then as always, uh, as I mentioned, our uh, State of the Union podcast hotline, 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. Whether your name's Chris or Alex, send us in a question or a comment or concern. All right, we got uh, one more segment here when we come back. My one for the road. Don't go anywhere. All right, we are back, and it's time uh, that we wrap up this uh, episode of the State of the Union. And at the end of each and every State of the Union, I give him my one for the road. We teased it a little earlier. The great Chris Wondolowski, hanging him up, finishing out what has been an, uh, a legendary career. And I know we throw around the word legend a lot, but when it comes to Major League Soccer, uh, he is absolutely a Major League Soccer scoring legend. Um, and his consistency... Um, his ability and talent on the field is undeniable and visible for all. Um, and I think a lot of people, but not as many, recognize the, the grace and uh, the personality and the wonderful smile um, and the humility that someone like Chris Wondolowski has. And he has always held himself, uh, both as a player and as a person, um, in an incredible way. And that is as much about who he is and his legacy uh, and his legend as putting the ball in the back of the net. Now, 
inevitably, when you talk about Chris Wondolowski, you talk about the miss in the World Cup. And I think he has certainly come to terms with it. And it is always going to be a part of who he is. He doesn't shy away from it, nor should he. We all know that he's a whole lot more than that. It also highlights how a World Cup um, can amplify something, both good and bad. And that he will always be associated with that in the stories that are told. Um, like I said, it's, it's unfortunate, but I think he'd be the first person to tell you that, hey, at least I was there to miss it. And 99.999% of the people out there that he come as, comes in contact with never even had a chance to tell you what it feels like even to miss a sitter in a World Cup or what it smells like to be in a World Cup. Uh, and he was there. And I got a lot of respect for, like I said, the, the maturity and, and the grace and even you know, the wit and the humor with which he has accepted that. And I think that's what endears him to a lot of people uh, out there. And congratulations on a wonderful career, Chris Wondolowski. And most importantly, I think from all of us, and I think you'll join me, Mossy, in, in saying thank you. Thank you for everything that you have done for Major League Soccer, obviously, uh, uh, when it comes to the San Jose Earthquakes organization and who you are with that, but also just soccer in general. If you ever get a chance to, to spend some time and just meet him, I think you will come away with what I and so many others have come away with, and that this is a, as I said, an incredibly gentle, uh, but genuine soul. And that he is such a great and prolific goal scorer is only part of the story, as is a miss in a World Cup. And we all know we're much more than the actual kicking of the ball. And so as I mentioned uh, about Carly Lloyd a couple of weeks ago, I look forward to someone like Chris Wondolowski in seeing what he is going to be now that he will not be kicking a ball and where he goes on uh, to and where his life leads. And I wish him all of the success uh, off the field. But regardless of what happens, he will always uh, be remembered as a Major League Soccer scoring legend. So congratulations to Chris Wondolowski. Anything else before we head out? Uh, one last thing oh I left boy. for Here the we end. Go. Here uh, we go. We've talked about a lot of different soccer games mm -hmm. on this podcast, but you left one out. Oh, well, what did I ever leave out? Uh, Michigan won Rutgers zero. The Michigan women's soccer team captured the Big Ten title this weekend. Hats off to head coach Jennifer Klein for orchestrating this Are victory. you really throwing some Wolverine women's soccer in here as relative to my Scarlet Knights? Okay, fine. That's fine. I, I appreciate that. You had that in the back pocket the entire uh, recording of this, didn't you? I did, yes. Well done. Well done. Your, um, uh, your Michigan Wolverines from a football perspective, they're still okay, right? They're still okay at possibly getting into this Final Four thing? This was a good weekend because Michigan, Michigan State, State lost, yes, lost right? to Purdue. Uh, so now we're in the weird position of when Ohio State plays Michigan State, we have to root for Ohio State. Um, oh. That would give Michigan State a second loss, knock them out, and then if Michigan were to run the table... Um, but you also have to beat Ohio State, right? Yeah, as I told you when we were discussing this walking out yesterday, uh, the scenario uh, for Michigan to win the Big Ten title involves us doing something we've done only once in the last 20 years. So I'm still so skeptical. And there's a chance. <laughs> All right. Well, good luck to your Michigan Wolverines there. And from the football perspective, congratulations. Uh, you know, even though I am a Scarlet Knight, congratulations to the uh, uh, U of M women uh, for uh, beating my Scarlet Knights and uh, taking the Big Ten championship. Is that what they did? Correct. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. All right. We'll be back 
back again uh, next week. Thank you so much for uh, reviewing and downloading and subscribing and doing all the different things that you do. Do hit us up with the Ask Alexi questions uh, and certainly continue to use that uh, that hotline uh, because you know we love the uh, the calls and the questions that uh, that you send in. It's really fun for us to hear and it's a different way for people to, to uh, participate in this pod. Again, 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. We'll be back here same time next week on the State of the Union. Thank you for tuning in. And until then, and as always, size the day.